We are doing something, uh, well, we're going to kind of, we sort of finish John chapter 8, but we're going to go back and camp on one verse. So we're going to be um, on John 8, but mainly we're going to be in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3 this morning. So just want to focus on one key idea, okay? Let me pray. We get us started. Father, as we approach your word, we ask for the Holy Spirit, Lord, to convict our hearts in terms of where we need to be, in terms of dealing with the evil one who is always eager to pull us down or pull us away or off in directions that you don't want us to go. So we pray for wisdom in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So who here, now Rick, I know you're old enough. (laughs) 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 Who here remembers the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Anybody remember him? Okay, five people. That's amazing. Okay. Solzhenitsyn was a world-famous Russian writer. And he had once been a, an officer in the Russian army, the Red Army, in World War II, and became a very celebrated author. But he was writing a letter home or to a friend from the battlefield and said something unkind about Joseph Stalin, the, <laughs> the ruler of Russia. And it got out. Um, they, he was turned in for sending that letter and saying something. So he went to the Gulag prison system for eight years. And he had been a committed Marxist and atheist. He believed in the whole thing. But a Jewish doctor was in the camp treating him. And the doctor shared Christ with Solzhenitsyn. And he became a Christian in the camp, in the Gulag. The doctor too had come to Jesus in the prison camp. Somebody shared the gospel with him. And while he was there in the hospital with, with that, where that doctor was, down the hall there was a big commotion and the Jewish doctor that shared Christ with him had been murdered. And when finally released, Solzhenitsyn wrote a best-selling novel about those experiences, what it's like to be um, in those environments. And it got banned in Russia. But um, he was forbidden to write anything but he started working on this massive epic work called the Gulag Archipelago, which is a, one of the great works of the 20th century about this r- extensive prison system where political disin- dissidents were incarcerated. And you could not read that book in Russia, the Gulag Archipelago, but it got smuggled out to the West and became a bestseller, sold 30 million copies. In 1971, the um, KGB poisoned him, but he survived. And then in February of 1974, he was arrested, and the next day he was deported out of Russia. He was kicked out of Russia forever. He went to Germany, then he came to America. The day he was arrested, he published a pamphlet, and it's called Live Not By Lies. Live Not By Lies. And it was a manifesto pleading with the Russian people to absolutely refuse in any way to support the lies that were propagated by the Communist Party and the government. He said, just don't do it. He said, no matter what the consequences are. And he knew the consequences because he had experienced them on multiple levels, right? So Solzhenitsyn was addressing, addressing the Russian people and all of Western civilization because when he came to America, he found the same thing starting to happen here. And this is in the 70s. And now we're... T- sort of flowering in a greater way in terms of not being allowed to say certain things, right? Without being canceled or however you wanna call that. So he was writing to to the world, if you will, but not to church specifically, although Solzhenitsyn was a, a committed Christian. How much more does the idea 
though he was writing to everybody, but how much more should that idea live not by lies be part of our Christian walk, a, a commitment of our, our Christian walk in the world around us? Every believer needs to think about that and weigh that. So why am I mentioning this? Because our subject today is Satan. And you know what he does? Thank you. He lies. <laughs> yeah. So the idea behind live not by lies should be the theme of our lives as Christ followers in every area of our life. Right? A follower of Jesus should be absolutely committed to the truth. No exceptions. And where do we get our truth? Yeah, we get it from the book, right? We get it from God's word. So the word is our standard for truth and right and wrong and we measure the world around us by the book and our culture by the book. And where do we start with all this? With our own hearts. We measure that by the book as well. That's where we have to start. We measure ourselves by it. That's God's standard. And we say to ourselves, I will humbly live for the glory of God and I want to be corrected by the book and the truths that are there and that means a a rigorous commitment to the truth about what God says and about ourselves so lies are not merely errors right a lie is a deliberate deception and remember lies come from people there's a personal source behind a lie a malevolent purpose behind lies and the lies that matter most that do the worst damage come from Satan himself the devil the enemy of God so it's a great benefit to think about how the enemy of God actually operates in John chapter 8 Jesus gives us one of the clearest and most helpful descriptions of Satan and what he does and what he's always done to humanity um, in the whole Bible it's just excellent and he is primarily a liar that is his power What's your superpower? He's a liar. That's his superpower. He's, here is Jesus' simple but powerful description of the devil. John 8 verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar. And the father of lies. It's his invention. He was the first liar. So he's a murderer. There's no truth in him Jesus says. So Satan is not a tragic hero. The the flawed soul you know. He never questions his own actions. He's motivated by pure evils. He, He doesn't have a struggle. Satan doesn't struggle with his better self. You know. Oh I wish I could be better. He only wants to be better at lying. He doesn't have a better side. He doesn't have a good side. There's no positive desires in him. He's given himself over to pure evil. Because the goal of his existence. In his heart is to oppose God. That's who he hates. And that's what his purpose for being is. So there's no positive thing in there. He's pure evil. Now he knows about good. He knows what we call good. And he likes to use good. Against us by deceiving us he also appears good but his purpose is always malicious he can use what looks good to undermine God because he's an expert in twisting and perverting things and the apostle Paul how did he describe Satan he said he appears 
as an angel of light. I know we think Satan is a monster or something, but, and he is a monster in his heart, but he appears glorious. He was created glorious. He was an angel. He had great beauty. And he prefers beauty. You know, the ram's horn and the cloven feet thing, that's sort of a Western idea there. Satan prefers to be beautiful, and humans prefer beauty generally, so they're drawn to that, so he appears that way. Why does Jesus call him a murderer? Because his ultimate goal is our death. Not so much our physical death, although he does that too, but to have our eternal souls condemned by God. That's what he's hoping for. If he can lead us astray enough to bring us to condemnation. So lives are his means uh, for his ultimate purpose of death. Separating people from God. That's, that's what he wants to do. So um, Bible teacher John Phillips who wrote a commentary on the Gospel of John. He's kind of, a, kind of a preacher commentary. Not so much a technical one. But he says this. A murderer is one who deliberately kills. A liar is one who deliberately deceives. All death on this earth is laid at the devil's door. He's responsible for it. He's a mass murderer and the murderer of our race. He is the author of death, the reason for every graveyard. He hates the human race. The Lord warned our first parents that this murderer was abroad. He gave them a hedge about them to protect them from him. His word, that's the hedge. He told them to trust and obey. He warned them against opening the gate. You shall surely die. There's no truth in him, Jesus said. The devil's moral being has been distorted. He retains much of his former brilliance of intellect and power of will, but it is warped and bent and twisted so that he is incapable of speaking the truth. His first words on earth were a lie. You surely will not die you shall be like God, unquote. Actually, Satan's first recorded words on earth was the question he asked before he said that. Questioning God's word, he said, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, has God said? That, those were his first words to Eve. Has God said? Did he really say that? So questioning God's word, and the word is what Phillips calls the hedge, right? If, if we cling to the word, we're protected, we're behind this hedge. So his strategy was to get our first mother to contemplate the possibility that something God said wasn't true. And if he could get her to do that, to go that far, then he can start working on her. And he's been doing that ever since in many, many ways. He says to us, has God said and if you interact with American culture, you're going to hear that all the time. Has God really said, did he really say that? Just questioning, doubting. It's all around us. And it's used, those questions are used to murder souls. And his great goal is to get you and me to disbelieve what God says. Because if you do that, you'll be joining his rebellion. That's what he wants. He wants you on his side. He wants you part of his kingdom. So consider that conversation in the garden. Here's Genesis 3, 1, more complete. He said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. That was the specific thing. Has God, did he say that? You mean he said that? Oh. And she gives him a very direct, very matter-of-fact answer. Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. 
But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God said you shall not eat from it or touch it. She threw that in or Adam threw that in for her. (laughs) Don't even go near it. Don't touch it. (laughs) Or you will die. So the reality of death was made very clear to them and her life depends on not taking it. And it's at this moment that's when he tells the lie. He lies about God. It's It's a direct contradiction of what God says now. First he gets her to doubt a little bit and now he's contradicting. So verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So God, he says, has deceived you. God is the deceiver. He's lied to you. There won't be any consequence. There won't be any negative consequence for you if you disobey him. He's trying to keep you from something. He's deliberately holding you back. He's afraid you're going to learn what he knows. It's really a pretty brilliant temptation. So verse 5. God knows that in the day you eat from it. Your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. So he makes God sort of seem jealous. Of the possibilities for her to. Have her eyes opened if she eats the fruit right God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened you'll be able to discern things that you can't grasp right now you're he's he's hemming you in he's limiting you he's keeping you from growing and penetrating the mysteries of the world he's holding that from you you will be like God and you know since the word God Elohim is plural it's always Elohim in the Bible so it's a singular and plural word he could be saying you'll be like gods you'll be higher beings you'll be like the higher beings far beyond what you are right now only God is restraining you that's why he forbids you from this knowledge that's there in this fruit he's restraining you knowing good and evil means that they'll have the power like God to choose right and wrong for themselves that's what he's telling them you'll be like gods it's an open invitation to join Satan in direct rebellion against the creator so he appeals to her pride to exalt herself to God's level to be free of him and she makes this huge misstep by entertaining the lie just considering the lie she stepped on the path to rebellion in her heart she's already taken a step in that direction and with the lie inside of her now working its way in her thinking in her mind she looks at the tree again in the center of the garden and it says in verse 6 when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes it was beautiful and that the tree was desirable to make one wise she took from its fruit and ate and she gave it to her stupid husband with her (laughs) that's not a direct translation (laughs) and he ate (laughs) and then what happened says the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin covering so yeah they got new perception their eyes were opened they knew good and evil but not as God's They didn't know it as God's. Instead they feel exposed and they want to hide and they know they know evil now as partakers. 
not as deciders of what's going to be evil or good. They're, now they're, because they partook of evil, now they are evil. So instead of becoming like God, they become more like Satan himself. They've joined his side in what they've done. But they're not beyond redemption. And so God comes to them, not in fury, not a burning fire, but with a plan that he had set before the foundation of the world. This first couple are going to have to leave paradise and their world is going to become more hostile to them, full of pain and conflict and sorrow. Their bodies will begin to die, but God does something else, you remember? He covers them. He covers Adam and his wife with skins from animals. The first shedding of blood is to cover their shame. It's a gracious act. And the Lord lets them hear a promise. He makes declarations to each of the persons there starting with the serpent. And the promise was that one day would come a man, a descendant of theirs, an offspring of theirs, a child of theirs. And that man would crush the Satan's head. He would crush his head. So God is a redeemer and a redeemer is promised and over the course of many centuries the redeemer finally came and we know who that is. That's Jesus of Nazareth. And he shed his blood to cover the sin of all who come to him and repent. So there exists from the time of man's fall there's really two kinds of people in the world. There are those who turn to God and those who will not turn to God. All are sinners. But some come to God to find redemption in Christ and others refuse to do that. And God always has people in the world who are redeemed, redeemed sinners who will speak for him and they will point people to the savior that God promised and he brought into the world and provided for us. So Satan seriously hates redeemed sinners. Those are his enemies in this world. And that's because we see through him. Because our eyes really are opened by the Holy Spirit not by sin. And we have pledged allegiance to his enemy the Lord Jesus Christ and our creator. So now his goal for us changes because he can't have us. If you're a redeemed person, if you belong to Christ, you are secure in him and Satan can't have you. But he can lie to you. And that's where the problems come in sometimes. He can sidetrack us. He can take us off the playing field, if you will. Take us out of the doing the Lord's work for him in this world. He can do that. He can keep us from shining the light of Jesus to other people. So how's he going to do that? Well his specialty is lies. That's his superpower. So he's go- it's always going to be through lies. He's going to tell us things that he wants us to believe that aren't true. He lies to unbelievers obviously who need the Savior. And he lies to believers who have the Savior. In order to make them useless for Christ. And he has many many lies to accomplish that. He's good at it. He's been practicing for a long time. He told lies to other angels even before human beings were in the picture. Because he brought other angels out of God's grace as well. So many lies. I couldn't even begin to list them. Lies for believers and lies for unbelievers. There's so many. 
But for the unbelievers the lie basically boils down to you don't need a savior. Don't bother. That's a big part of it. Or you can save yourself through good works or reason or religious rituals or things like that. And the truth is you do need a savior because well because God is holy and you are not holy. That's why. You cannot make up for your own sin. In reality apart from God's grace you just keep adding sin to sin. If you say well what if I just completely stop sinning. Okay go ahead. (laughs) Prove yourself. Sin shapes us. It's part of us. It's part of who we are until the day we see Christ face to face as believers. But what Satan does is he shapes whole cultures around sin so that we're walking through a world of sin all the time and being fed lies all the time. Now in parts of the world that are dominated by tradition long standing cultural practices he, he works through substitute religions which he's developed. I'm sure there's a demonic department in the uh, a bureaucracy you know creating false religions to, to create for people and, and um, all, all these different cultures have them you know. Other gods, other belief systems that explain the world in some way without the true God. And in the modern world his ploy is completely different. He gets, he gets people to think new is true. Something a brand new philosophy or a opinion about the world, the latest thing, right? It's always superior to everything that's come from the past, this new philosophy. So that includes things like humanism, Marxism, uh, scientism. Scientism says that the only reality there is is what you can measure with instruments. That's the only reality there is. You're a human being, you don't have a soul, you are biology period. That's that kind of an idea very limited. The material world is all there is. Most recently we we are experiencing this wave. I mean it's a complete takeover of the culture and I for for lack of a better term I'm going to call it woke (laughs) woke idealism or ideology Um, and I know some people say that's not what woke is but um, we'll just call it that. You you know what it is. Um, Which is another it's a secular religion making saints and sinners based on a Marxist type model of oppressor and oppressed and then they invent these categories and then you're in one of those two categories and everything's dealt with that way. There's no forgiveness and no salvation in, in the woke ideology. But that's kind of taken over our culture currently. There'll be something new later. But uh, these categories they put people in just happen to justify and increase distrust, hate, mutual suspicion and division in our country. So culture shaping is a huge part of the lying that Satan actually does. If he can get the institutions of power to believe lies and to punish non-compliance then he's a very happy devil. That's what he wants to see happen. So culture is king and Satan doesn't care if people figure out that his lies are lies because as soon as they do and they give it up he'll have a new set of lies for them. So and people always go for them. So he always has a new lie to take the place of the old lie. And once he has the cultures human beings will do all the persuading for him. If he shapes the culture in a certain way then people will do all the lying for him. Because they'll be promoting whatever the current thing is, right? The the thing that's against what God says. And once he has the culture he's got many many souls 
in his camp. Because culture is not just believing the latest thing. I mean, you swim in it. I mean, it's like you're a fish in water. The culture is all around you. It's in everywhere you turn. And it just, you just absorb it into your thinking. You have to consciously reject it to not buy into it. So it's overwhelming. And that's why people get so caught up in these ideas that are just prevalent. And they, they weren't even in existence so many years ago. And now everybody's believing it supposedly and practicing it and all the celebrities and all that kind of stuff. So culture's pressing in on us. I'm pretty sure there's a demonic bureaucracy churning out the latest kooky deceptions. And there's a whole TikTok department just for young people in hell that is actually devising things to put on TikTok for you, for you to, to play with there. So culture, it, culture is pressing in on us and we have these powerful institutions which try very hard to shape the whole culture towards their disbelief system. And if we can get government and education to promote lies, then embracing the truth, embracing the truth will always mean sacrifice. Because when the institutions are against you, you're going to lose certain things in this world. That's why we don't live for this world. Because if you live not by lies, you're going to lose some things. And you've got to look for the life to come, primarily. The New Testament is really clear about this. Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then he says, Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the world. That's the world, deceived and being deceived. Once they're deceived, they deceive everybody else. And that's going to grow over the course of history, not shrink away. So capture the culture and following the Lord faithfully will always mean being mocked or regarded as evil within the culture. Harsher consequences than mockery eventually follow, but it usually starts with that. Just like other truth tellers in totalitarian states like Solzhenitsyn, they're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for speaking the truth. Satan always tries to capture the culture and he can only do it successfully if he can make the church, if he can make the church weak or compromising in some sort of way, veering off the biblical foundation. When a church, whole denominations have moved away from the Bible, whole denominations, many denominations, That's not their standard anymore. It's not how they judge themselves. It's not how they judge the things around them. They adopt the culture. Just a couple of weeks ago, just a couple of weeks ago in Great Britain where the Methodist church really had its beginning under John Wesley. We talked about John Wesley in Sunday school this morning who was a great Christian. So the Methodist church released an inclusive language guide advising Methodists to avoid using gendered terms such as husband and wife because such allegedly assumes what is not quote the reality for many people being a husband or a wife is not the reality for many people so stop saying those words they literally have said that this is an actual quote from the Methodist church that they put this out and this is in Britain as Christians we need to have the courage for conversations that can sometimes be difficult To recognize that we sometimes exclude people. To listen with humility. To repent of any hurtful language. See how Christian that sounds? Deception. And to take care with how we listen to what we say or write. In the spirit of Christ. And they mean using the words husband and wife. They actually say that in their 
statement. But they make it sound so holy and loving and kind. That's deception. It's a pure lie. It's an astounding lie to take the foundation of human existence as God created it and told us at the very beginning how he made the world and human beings. And to call that offensive. A church is doing that. Whatever is most precious to God has to be rejected or twisted or perverted. Here's a really weird one. I've got a picture for you here. Um, I still find this hard to believe it's happening. Can you imagine in the last 400 years, I mean over the last 400 years of American history, a government allowing statues of Satan to be put on the grounds of a state capital? This one you're looking at is actually in Arkansas. (laughs) Notice the children looking lovingly at Satan. And this isn't even a beautiful Satan. Okay, you can take it down so you don't have to look at him anymore. <laughs> so who put that up? Who put that up? A, a group called the, the, the Satanic Temple put it up. And it's an outfit. And guess where they're based? <laughs> Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> Salem, Massachusetts. Could anyone have imagined elementary schools in America or anywhere welcoming a Satan club. You've probably heard about them in the news. They have Satan clubs. They put one in in Tehachapi. There's several in Southern California. Now this is the same group. The Satanic Temple. And what they do is they use equal access laws. That permit all religions to come in. And have like an after school club. Or something like that. To have a Satan club. Right? It's sort of like a good news club. Only this is a bad news club I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, you can't discriminate supposedly, so it's interesting that the the statues and the clubs like that from the Satanic Temple, they're built on lies. Not just because Satan is a liar and all of that. I mean, they're literally built on lies. uh, These people are very clear. They're very clear. Talk to a Satanic Temple person. They don't believe in Satan. It's just trolling. You know, they're doing this to be anti-Christian. They're not actually worshiping Satan. But you know they also have these. You can see them online. They're pretty amusing. They have so like a a, a city council. We have somebody give an invocation. Well you can't tell them. They can't be part of the rotation. To give us invocation at a city council meeting. So the satanic temple guy will come. And read some Latin stuff. And then say hail Satan. And everybody has to sit there. And listen to him do that. But they don't believe in Satan. And they say they don't believe in Satan. So that itself is a lie. It's premised on a lie. It's not a religion at all. So it's just a twisted thing. And they get into schools or on government land as a religion. They don't even believe in in it as a religion. They don't think Satan's real. So it's actually a lie that it's a religion. So it's a lie based on a lie based on a lie which is a lie. That kind of. Now look if they call themselves a free thinkers club. Which is what they really are. You know we rationalists. Reason is the only thing there is. That wouldn't be a big problem for me. I mean okay go ahead and have a rationalist club. But to be against something. To have a club that's against something. Which is what the Satan club is. It's against God. Right? It'd be like the Ku Klux Klan club for anti-Semites in a school. I mean you just don't allow certain things. Right? It's a hate group. So Satan clubs don't want people worshiping Satan. They want people not to worship God. That's their purpose. They don't care about Satan. They think he doesn't exist. Although he's totally motivating them. But like I said, if they call it the Rationalist Club, that would be okay. Or the Thomas Paine Club, that would be a good name for it. The Thomas Paine Society, you know, he was an American founder. 
who uh, was a rabid anti, he was against revealed religion. He said he believed in God but not in anything revealed. But to call it a Satan club just to get people upset is not only un-American, it's disingenuous. It's, it's got an evil motive behind it. Anyway, so the satanic temple justifies it. They say because, that picture, you don't have to see it, but they say, quote, Lucifer is a symbol of hope, acceptance, and equality. There's those key words. Those are the cultural words. So if you can attach them to Satan, that makes him good, right? Acceptance, equality. So it's no coincidence that the satanic temple offers children the exact same message that Satan gave to Eve and the message is your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. You can determine your own path. That's the message of the Satan club. Be your own God. You, you determine good and evil for yourself. Be free. That's the same idea there. That's how sin entered the world and we have an American culture literally unable to say no to elementary schools having a Satan club. They can't do it. They can't find the strength to do it. So we live in this decaying civilization period when we are fed lies that are appropriate to our age. Satan has lies for every condition of life and that's true for cultures as well. So when you're a rising civilization and you're growing in great power and wealth and all this kind of stuff, what does he want you to believe in? Pride, uh, oppression, self-righteousness, the lust for conquest, taking advantage of other peoples, feeling like you're superior to other people. Those are the lies he feels to advancing civilizations. When you're a decaying civilization, which is I think where we are, they're just different lies. The task now is to say everything that was good about you needs to be put down and rejected. The best things you were founded on have to be the tried and true things. They have to die. You have to start over again. So Satan doesn't care what we do. He doesn't care what we believe as long as it keeps us from Christ and advances his goals. So capturing the culture with lies is to possess countless souls. That's what Satan wants and, and if we embrace the lies of the culture we're going to be doing that. So it's a huge goal that he has. How is it done? Well place lies in the universities first which spreads down eventually because that's where people are trained to the lower elementary grades, high school and then elementary schools. Get the entertainment industry on board. Music, movies, streaming shows, TV. Then the major corporations get them all involved in the same ideology that you have and then the government and then get it into the military and then you've won. You've won the culture. Then let the government suppress the truth. Let them do that work. That's how Satan operates. So I'll come back to the culture in just a minute here. Let's talk just real briefly about the lies that he wants believers to accept. Okay that's working on the culture, the unbelieving culture. So for unbelievers it's you don't need a savior so don't bother with it or you can save yourself by good works or reason or religion or ritual. But for believers Satan has an endless amount of lies as well depending on who you are and what your propensities are. He corrupts the faith. How did he get millions of Christians who say they love Jesus to follow the prosperity gospel. How in the world did that happen? 
I open my Bible and I can't find anything in here but suffering Christians. To buy the lie that God wants you to be rich in this world and free of affliction is insane. Now of course if you really want to be free of affliction and rich you have to give money to the people that are telling you about it. That's really important. But I read my Bible and I just see poverty and affliction amongst the churches. Satan wants us to listen to the lies of manipulative preachers not the word of God because those people twist the Bible like you wouldn't believe. Yeah they use the Bible though. No they twist the Bible. They corrupt the Bible for personal gain. That's why they do it. So what does Satan want from you Christian? What does he want you to do? Well he wants you to sin obviously. That's one of his favorite things. To be a commandment breaker. He wants you to compromise. He wants you to prioritize things that will not last over things that are eternal. He wants you out of service. And I don't mean out of the Sunday service. Well he probably wants you out of the Sunday service too. But that's not what I mean. I mean he wants you out of serving Christ in your life. Even if it's something as simple as getting you to not pray. Too busy to pray. Or too much on your phone to pray. He wants you to break fellowship with other believers. He wants you to fail in loving one another. Those are all things he wants you to do. He wants many things from you. So ask yourself. You should all kind of take stock now and then and say. What lies is the devil trying to feed me? What, what's he trying to get me to believe? How is he working on me? He knows my weak areas. He studied me. What untrue thing does he want me to believe? So take time now and then to ask that question. Take care of your personal walk with Christ first. Then ask how do I, after you've got that taken care of, then ask how do I live in a culture that has abandoned the truth and so much of what is good? How do I live in a darkening world as a Christian? Well we started this morning by talking about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I can't believe I said his name so well. but He was actually a hero of mine when I was in junior high. And his admonition to live not by lies. How do we apply that? Let's take the principle of that. Live not by lies. Now he's talking in a totalitarian government situation. But I'm going to bring it into our Christian life situation. The same principles. You know 1 John 5 it says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So whatever, whatever the right thing to do there is, is good for us to learn. In terms of this. This living not by lies. So we can easily apply Solzhenitsyn's principles to our culture, our lives in our culture and even the voices in our heads and in our hearts that want to lie to us. We can deal with that. So live not by lies. I'm just going to read you a little bit of the essay that he wrote the day he got arrested and thrown out of the Soviet Union. So he says quote and I kind of edited this down to make it a little bit shorter but overcoming our temerity let each man choose. Will he remain a witting servant of the lies in order to provide a living for his family or to rear the children in the spirit of lies? Or has the time come for him to stand straight as an honest man worthy of the respect of his children and contemporaries? And from that day onward he, now here's a list of things, he will not write, sign, nor publish in any way a single line distorting so far as he can see the truth. 
He will not utter such a line in private or in public conversation, nor read it from a crib sheet, nor speak it in the role of an educator, a teacher, or actor. He will not in painting, sculpture, photography, technology, or music depict, support, or broadcast a single false thought, a single distortion of the truth as he discerns it. He will not be forced to a demonstration or a rally if it runs counter to his desire and his will. He will not take up and raise a banner or slogan in which he does not fully believe. He will not raise a hand and vote for a proposal which he does not sincerely support. Will not vote openly or in secret ballot for a candidate whom he deems dubious or unworthy. He will not be impelled to a meeting where a forced and distorted discussion is expected to take place. Yes, at first it will not be fair. Someone will have to temporarily lose his job. For the young who seek to live by truth, this will at first severely complicate life. For their tests and quizzes too are stuffed with lies. And so choices will have to be made. But there is no loophole left for anyone who seeks to be honest. Remember he's talking about the Soviet Union. That's his environment here. As for him who lacks courage to defend even his own soul, let him not brag of his progressive views, boast of his status as an academician, academician or a recognized artist or a distinguished citizen or a general. Let him say to himself plainly, I am cattle. I am a coward. I seek only warmth and to eat my fill. That's Solzhenitsyn. Now you know why they deported him <laughs> and tried to poison him. Um, I, think he, I think he offers us tremendous guidance actually here with this. Let's have the same attitude about the lies that Satan is feeding our culture and, our, and ourselves. We will not accept them. We will not repeat them. And when appropriate, we will not let them go unchallenged. Because the lies are put forth to keep people away from Christ. And we can't support lies. I thought about Solzhenitsyn because an Orthodox Christian who's living today named Rod Dreher, some of you might know who he is, he published a book a couple years ago called Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. And it's the whole idea. Um, just applying that to our current situation, what was going on in the 1970s in Russia. And much of the book's content is simply interviewing Christians that lived for Christ under communism back in the day. Those older people that are still alive, he interviewed them for this book. And there's lots of interviews with Rod Dreher online. He was on Al Mohler. He spent an hour with Al Mohler. You can see that interview. Elisa Childers, um, Focus on the Family. He's, he's been, in fact, there's a film coming out called Live Not By Lies by, with Rod Dreher. It's about his, his interviews with all these people. The point is, we're surrounded by lies. Lies are inspired by Satan. Jesus says plainly he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. That's what you have to remember. What does it take to stand for the truth when the, there are consequences for standing for the truth? Well it takes courage for one thing and dedication and wisdom. But most of all it's knowing God's word and being faithful to the word of God. All of it. We don't stand against lies because we want to be contrary people and have a chip on our shoulder and be nasty and mean. That's not it at all. But it's a blessing to our fellow men and their hope if we live not by lies. We give them hope. But we might have to suffer and we have to be willing to suffer. Rod Dreher says in, uh, he said in an interview, he said, for Christians, 
Hope is not the same thing as optimism. An optimist thinks things will always turn out okay, but that's not really true. For a Christian, hope is that if you suffer faithfully for Jesus Christ and you're willing to take whatever the world throws out at you, then you will triumph. The Lord will triumph through your sacrifice. I think that's it. I think he's right. Satan is a schemer. He's a liar. He will use anything he can to throw you off. Ephesians 6.10 Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Satan is so good at scheming. You need to wear your armor, he says, your divine armor. You need strength from God to stand firm against his schemes. So do it. (laughs) Do it. Stand firm. Many great saints, men and women, have done so all down through the ages. Join them in this great chorus of truth speakers. Do not accept. Do not believe. Do not acquiesce to lies. Let's pray. Father God you are the source of all truth. You are truth. May we love the truth as we love you. Help us to never live by lies for that is the way of your enemy. When we lie to ourselves and listen to his voice we ask you to correct us by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. When we are drawn into the lies of the culture challenge us with truth. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.